everyone. It's Melissa. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Angle Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. So this week's episode is going to focus on event marketing. So what will events look like in the future? We've made this huge shift, obviously, to digital because of the pandemic. Um, And I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the future for promo to capitalize on this shift, but I know that there's also a lot of uncertainty and overwhelm for where to start. So me and Vin spoke with Cassandra Bailey, who is the CEO of Slice Communications. She's also the founder of Social Media Day Philly, which is a nonprofit organization that provides educational programming to digital marketing professionals. Cassandra is so smart and a wealth of knowledge. It was a true pleasure to speak with her. And we talked about Um, Just some of the ways that she has formatted some of her events that she's done digitally to maximize engagement, to capitalize on how people learn. In addition, I think one of the things that people struggle with is the engagement piece for virtual events because, you know, you're used to doing that and maybe a trade show or physical uh, location. And if you can't do that, how can you still keep your guests engaged while everybody is individually participating virtually at home? So social media was a really huge part of her strategy for the rollout of Social Media Day uh, Philly last year, which was 1000% virtual last summer. So we get into details about that, what went into devising her strategy, and then also to Um, a couple of tips that she shared about software that her and her team favors. So let's get into this episode. It's a really good one, guys. Hey, everybody. We're here with another episode of the Social Angle Podcast. It's your co-host, Melissa, here with Finn. What's up? And then we're also here with Cass Bailey, who is the CEO of Slice Communications. We are so excited to speak with Cass because we are going to talk about the future of events and trade shows for 2021, what people can expect, um, what are some software maybe to invest in, what are some trends to be cognizant of. And I think Cass is going to provide a really awesome perspective. So thank you so much for joining us today, Cass. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad you're here. So for our audience, you know, tell us a little bit more about your career and how you founded Slice Communications. Slice Communications was founded in 2008. Mm-hmm. Terrible time to start a business. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can start a business then and survive, and I have a number of good friends who have, you can survive most things. And we've been very fortunate that a lot of lessons we learned in 2008, we are now applying in 2020. And likely we'll be applying in 2021 as well, though hopefully not for the entire year. Our agency uh, really focuses on three things, public relations, social media, and email marketing. We consider all of these two-way communications. And over the years, we found lots of different ways to apply them. We certainly work with companies who want to get the attention of new and existing customers. But now we also help companies who really want to find the right employees for their team using PR, social, and email. That's incredible. So what, like, if you don't mind me asking, you know, taking on an agency, especially during that time period, like what kind of sparked your interest? Like, were you always drawn to being a leader? Did you always want to be your own boss or did it kind of have its own slow evolution? This is the most wonderful, happy accident, to be completely honest. I have a degree in international politics, economics, and philosophy. 
and have never actually taken a marketing or communications course. But through a series of happy events and great opportunities and just the willingness to say yes, whenever somebody was like, hey, do you want to try this? Um, I ended up uh, co-founding this agency with a partner. I, at that point, was working as a PR practitioner, a PR person, getting media coverage for our clients, helping with speaking opportunities, doing a little speech writing, helping them get awards and recognition, and really saw social media at that time as a major business communication platform. And this agency in particular was, was formed to focus on both PR and social and how they work together. And then over the years, we recognized that email marketing was increasingly important as the third leg of that stool, the third part of this two-way communication work that we do. So we added that practice group a couple of years ago. That's incredible. And I love that. It's so interesting to me. And don't you find this trend um, often, Vin, is that a lot of people who end up being really successful in marketing come from diverse backgrounds. And it just makes like our industry so much more richer, you know? Definitely. I came from the journalistic background and, uh, you know, like um, speaking of two, 2008, going back to what you said earlier, I started at um, ASI in 2008 and I was literally counting down the days. I was like, there's no way this company is going to keep me. <laughs> like, I thought I was going to get laid off because people were getting laid off. Um, but it was crazy. I, I, I stayed on. I, I started in, um, well, I'm in editorial now. I st that's where I started. Um, but I took on all the social media marketing and, you know, it's funny. Um, I have never considered myself a marketer, but I find myself dead in the, in the marketing zone right now. I'm, I am a marketer, you know, and like I've been running some of our social media platforms and it's like, that is, that's marketing, you know? So I've had to accept the fact that, you know, an editorial person has become a marketer. So and it's so true. A lot of us end up here through this series of, of happy accidents and opportunities. But what I find the most important thing that any marketing communications person needs to have is they need to be able to do research. They need to be able to write and they need to be able to think critically. Yep. And I feel very fortunate that my degree in international politics, et cetera, gave me all three of those things. And I think if students coming out of school today have all three of those things and their professors have invested in making sure that they hone those skills, they're gonna be our best marketers in the future. Totally agree. All right, so let's talk about events and this pandemic. Now, our industry, the promotion products industry has been hit hard by mm -hmm. this pandemic um, because the biggest market in our industry is events. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, distributors, you know, sell to, you know, large concerts and large gatherings and conferences and trade shows, but also ASI runs, you know, three major trade shows. So we've been, we've been affected, you know, substantially. Um, but let's talk about how, you know, these online events are now popping up. What do you see for the foreseeable future uh, for these events? I've seen a wide range of people's online virtual experiences. So we as an agency run Social Media Day in Philadelphia every year. Um, this is our, 2020 was our sixth year doing it. And so we did actually run our whole conference very similarly to the way that we did it in person. We did run the whole thing virtually this year. And I think what worked about it, two things. One, our audience is a digital first audience, right? Our audience is made up of social media people and digital marketing people and analytics people. And people are just used to communicating online. 
And the second thing that we think really worked is that we set up a Slack channel for everybody to talk with each other during the sessions and interact with each other and still have that experience to like talk with the speaker and all the speakers guarantee that they would be in their Slack channels looking at it and interacting with people. That said, I've been part of some virtual conferences that were incredibly painful and giant wastes of time. Yes. Uh, for, for instance, I spoke at one that actually had me pre-record my session and then they played the recording and then I was supposed to jump on at some point and answer questions, but the, the Q&A platform didn't work all that well and the experience just wasn't very good. And what I'm hearing from people in the market is that most of the online experiences are and the virtual conferences are much more like that bad experience I had. And I think part of the reason that they are so bad is they don't really consider their audience and the audience's digital competency or digital levels of engagement or even the comfortability of these people on digital. They don't really think about that in virtual. And I think the other thing that people miss is how do you create the experience of still having some sort of interaction with each other? as opposed to just a broadcast experience because great trade shows and conferences are about just running into each other and starting a conversation with somebody else. They're not really about watching television, which is what some of these virtual trade shows have become. And I think that if people are going to engage in virtual trade shows in the future, they really do need to think about their audience as well as how they create those interactions. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, so I was originally going to go to Social Media Day New York. Um, you know, I had, uh, you know, paid the dues for it in 2019. I was excited. It was coming up in May. And obviously, um, yeah, everything was moved uh, virtually. Now, having that virtual experience, you know, I appreciated it. But again, there was there was something missing about that in person. Um, you yeah. know, it was it was well done. Like you said, it had that Slack integration. Um, but you know, like we, I was talking to a bunch of people after classes, uh, you know, and it was it was pretty cool. But it wasn't the same. I think people have to kind of get used to that. So, what do you think are three integral components for a, a successful virtual event? I think that having an opportunity for people to interact with speakers directly is critical. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of people go to conferences because they want to ask a question or network with that speaker, or interact with them or create a personal relationship with them. So I think organizations need to find a way to do that, some sort of speaker interaction. You're talking but, like like maybe at the end? Or like I don't know, like let's okay. completely reimagine it, yeah. right? So for instance, if a speaker is gonna be part of it, are they willing to do a pre-event chat? Or are they willing to do some sort of contest or giveaway where they set up Zoom one-on-one lunches with three people who participated? But we have to get creative in terms of what that looks like and how people interact. So I think that's important. I also think that there should be some sort of physical, tangible thing that's part of of the event experience. And I know that that's challenging because for instance, you might have um, uh, office addresses for all of your attendees. You might not have home addresses, but I think that we need to get smarter in terms of how we do send things because people like to get things. It makes them feel more, more a part of something. It makes them feel more connected to something. I'm part of a, a national group and they keep having virtual hill days where we get to advocate on behalf of small business with our congressmen and senators and representatives, et cetera. And every time we have a virtual hill day, they send us a t-shirt 
every single time. And we all have to wear that t-shirt. And that gives us a brand unity in terms of this advocacy group that I'm part of. And I think it does make a difference. I feel more involved with it. I have this reminder of it. And also we show a combined force to to the people with which we're advocating. Cass, keep talking. You're speaking our language. That's this is our this is our industry. Yes. Yeah, but I think people also like to get gifts, right? Sometimes they go to trade shows and conferences to get swag to bring home to their kids. And they don't have that opportunity right now. But I think smart companies are going to be the ones that figure out how to do it and how to do it well. Now maybe not for everybody. Right? You might not be able to send all 5,000 people who would have been at a trade show a, a physical item in the mail. That might be very challenging. But if you think about who your top customers are that you intended to connect with at that conference or at that trade show, think about just sending them something or giving them a little surprise, delighting them in a new and different way. So I think that's important. I, and I think- I'm sorry. Good. Say I like love everything you say. Continue. <laughs> and I think I think the third most important part of this is really widening the window beyond the day or days of the conference. And so thinking about how can you create meaningful experiences or ways for people to connect prior to the conference? How do you do it at the conference? Then how do you do it after the conference or event? So don't just think about like the day or two or three or four of the event. How do you think about the 60 days leading up to it to get people engaged, to get them educated, to get them inspired? And then the 60 days after it to get them to stay connected with or make new connections with people as a result of it. And I think that organizations that, that widen that window 60 days before, even 30 days before, 30 days after are the ones that are going to get the best results. Because even if something blows up in your life that day, the day of the conference, and you're like, oh, my kid's school suddenly is closed and now they're here in my home. I can't attend this conference. These things are happening in our lived experience. But if we think about opening the window, those organizers are going to be much more successful. One of the things that we did for Social Media Day this year as an experiment, a pure experiment, was we opened up a mentoring program right after I know, right after the conference. <laughs> and I mentioned it because Melissa's been part of it, but it was just this experience for people to be connected with each other in a new and different way. And that's what we were trying to create for, for after the conference. I love it. Honestly, like it has been, I have to say, um, and I'm not just saying this because Cass is here, one of the best virtual events that I've attended all year, specifically for digital marketing professionals, because it was so interactive. And I felt like I got so much good information. And then the fact that I'm in the mentorship program right now, um, we meet bi-weekly, me and Nadine, and it has been such a wonderful information share. And not only just for us as professionals, like if we're thinking about uh, a certain barrier we face at work or things that we wanna improve, where we've been able to lean on each other for support, but it's just been great for creativity. Like there's perspective that she gives me from you know an outside viewpoint that I bring back into my job and I feel like it's made me better. So I think you know this is a great case study, social media day, uh, especially for this year for how to do virtual events right and how you can make the most impact with your audience. So thank you so much for going so much into detail about that. So, and I wanted to add that we are a certified woman-owned business. And as part of that, we get to be part of this community of other women-owned businesses. And one of the things they always had as part of their model was um, meetings that they called matchmakers, where women-owned businesses would sign up and corporate, corporate uh, representatives would sign up. They would say the type of people they wanted to meet, each group would, and they would match them together. 
And I think that matchmakers are a great model for trade shows and conferences moving forward to say, if you sign up by this date, we'll give you three matchmaker meetings in advance. We'll give you three matchmaker, you know, one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls afterwards and, and helping facilitate how those things get scheduled and happen provide some of that in-person new relationship development that is why we go to trade shows and conferences. Exactly. So I have a quick question about the matchmaker. So um, what do they base the criteria on? They ask, they have a form. It's a pretty simple form. And so you say something along the lines of, I provide these services. I'm in these geographic areas. I'm really interested in these industries or I have experience in these industries. I am looking for companies that are roughly this size. And then similarly, on the other side, the corporate buyers will put in things like, I need these services on a regular basis. I'm looking for people in these geographic areas. And so that's how people start to get matched. And no, it's not perfect. I think there's also an option you know, that organizations could put in place to just say, I need to meet somebody new. Yep. Just connect me with somebody new or connect me with a strategic partner, connect me with somebody who has who went to the college that I went to who's in this industry. I think there's lots of different ways that people connect. Connect me with other people who drink McKellen 12 like I do. <laughs> because we will have a shared love of a particular type of scotch. Uh, right. Any of those things are ways that we start and conversations in real life. And there's no reason that we can't use them as a way to connect people virtually. I think that's a great idea. I think that takes it to the next level for sure. 100%. And may I also ask as well, because I'm sure you guys went through maybe a weeding out process for the technology that you decided to use for your virtual event this year. Are there any that you recommend? I know it's probably going to be based on a price for a lot of people and what they plan to facilitate with their creativity, like breakout rooms or, you know, maybe virtual happy hours or however they plan to, you know, facilitate their event. But has there been any standouts for you and your agency that you would recommend to peers? For Social Media Day Philadelphia, as well as for a women's entrepreneurship conference I co-hosted as part of EO Philly, which is the entrepreneurs organization in Philly, uh, for both of those, we use StreamYard. And StreamYard is cool tech. It is very affordable. And one of the things that we liked about it is that you can use StreamYard to live stream your conference through all sorts of different social platforms. Yeah. So you could choose to, to stream it through Facebook. We chose to stream it through YouTube. And the reason why is because we thought that YouTube was the most inclusive of the social platforms. Um, it, it's device agnostic. Everybody knows how to use YouTube. It's the easiest we think for people to use. It automatically recorded the sessions and it enabled people to like leave comments and questions very easily through the platform. That said, it is not good for breakout sessions. It's not good for virtual roundtables necessarily. It really truly is a broadcast platform. But for the purposes of, of how we were using it for both social, social Media Day and Women's Entrepreneurship Day, it worked very, very well. For Women's Entrepreneurship Day in particular, um, we had a number of really amazing, incredible speakers. It was a half day event. But in the comments next to the YouTube stream, all these women started interacting with each other saying, hey, it's really good to see you here. Haven't talked to you in a while. How have you been? We should connect offline. And we really did encourage everybody who attended to reach out to somebody in that comment stream that they did not know and set up a follow-up one-on-one just with that person. And we think a lot of people did it. 
I think that's super smart because sometimes, you know, especially like uh, even if you were in a virtual, I mean, a non-virtual setting, I should say people feel shy. You know what I mean? They're not necessarily comfortable establishing a relationship, even though they know that that's one of the things that benefits you in your career is the ability to expand your network, meet new people, learn new things. So I like sometimes you just need to cue people. So I think it's cool. Like you can completely change the formula and success of your event by just like some key like calls to action for your audience like you know text this person reach out for a zoom chat for 15 minutes and you would be surprised how impactful that can be i think a lot of people are also struggling on how to make the most of a virtual conference which is why so many people say that they're bad because mm-hmm. they just don't know how to do it in a lot of cases it's the first time they're participating in one mm-hmm. so i think that organizations really need to invest in education and advocacy for their attendees yeah. to set up things to say hey this is the best way to take advantage of this for your company to say, here are some best practices. Here are some things that you can try. Here are some things to talk to your marketing department about in order for you to get the most out, uh, value out of this event. And I think the more that that is done, the more successful everybody will find the events. I agree with that. I think um, a lot of people have been thrown into the, into the digital and the virtual events and they don't really know the technology. And, and I mean, look at us, we're doing zoom right now. A year ago, if you told me, Hey, you're going to be recording your podcasts on some technology called Zoom. I would have said, like, what's that? You're crazy. You know, we're going to do it over the phone in studio like we've been doing for years. But no, here we are. Uh, so educating, I think, you know, everyone who's using these platforms, these technologies, I think is very, very important for them to get the most out of it. I, I think that some industries in particular are struggling the worst because they have an audience that maybe the average age is 62 and maybe they're in manufacturing or maybe they're in some sort of professional services or financial services. And those are the ones that are really having the hardest time. And I think that if they were to take a hard look at their audience and say, oh, these people really aren't gonna be able to take full advantage, they might take a step back and say, we're just not gonna do a virtual version of our conference. We're gonna do a totally different member engagement campaign that's going to be set up this way, that's going to use this technology, that's going to create mini hybrid events in different regions. And that is something that I'm very interested about in and I've heard quite a bit about are these smaller hybrid events where, and satellite events, where they might set up an event, a cocktail hour for 10 to 25 people in 30 different locations across the country, all at the same time, and live stream a keynote speaker to all of those places, have promotional items and giveaways at all of those places, have cocktails at all of those places, have restaurant and and food catering, et cetera, at all of those places. And that sort of hybrid event is, is, in certain industries working incredibly well, keeping people safe, having small groups get together and still providing in-person experiences, still providing networking experience, still providing free booze, which we know everybody enjoys for the most part, still providing right, right, <laughs> this way to interact with humans that's safe and makes people feel comfortable, but also then leverages the big keynote speaker Right. right. And so we're seeing some industries do it. It seems to be going pretty well there, but I, I want to see that, how it develops in the coming months and years. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, you know, we keep touching upon in-person um, and in-person is something that, you know, I've been doing, I've been going to our major trade shows every year for a bunch of years now. And I've met a lot of people and this year, 2020, 
you know, we didn't have it. Well, we actually had our earlier shows in um, January and February, but we missed out on Chicago, which is one of our, uh, our yeah. biggest shows. And, you know, it's funny. We, there's no replacing that sort of face-to-face -face interaction. Um, and it's difficult. Um, but, you know, how can event professionals use social media to supplement that, that in-person, you know, face-to-face? -face? There's a lot of different ways to do it. There's some that are really easy. So for instance, a lot of organizations have a hashtag that goes away, that goes on with their conference, right? And they use it on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. Some um, organizations who used to attend or companies that used to attend trade shows can actually look at people who have used that hashtag from the previous year, who have said that they've been there, who have said that they've participated and reach out to them and say, hey, it would have been likely that we would have met each other this year, or it's possible we could have met each other this year. I don't want to miss out on that. So are you free for a Zoom call sometime just so that I can learn about what you're facing and share with you what, what, what we're facing? And that actually works quite well. Um, it takes time. It takes effort. It's a little bit more of a uh, sales activity in some cases than a marketing activity, but it is one that creates those new relationships that we are missing. I think that event organizers who are thoughtful about how they can use that same approach or that same technique to connect people with each other on Twitter or Instagram or otherwise are going to benefit from it. That's yeah, that's fascinating. I, th I think that's a great idea. I've gone to trade shows in the past and every single one or social media trade shows in the past and every single one has their own uh, hashtag that they promote. And of a lot course. of and a lot of people that I have connected with and am friends with over the years, that's how I know them. And I've connected with them through that hashtag. One of my best friends in the world, actually, she and I connected many years ago at a trade show over a hashtag as well. Nice. And we have written ebooks together, we've presented together. We actually had babies on the exact same day. At all because of a hashtag. It was all meant to be. Yeah, it was meant to be. And the first conference where we were both tweeting at each other, tweeting about being at that conference, we didn't actually meet there. It wasn't until the subsequent conference that we actually got together and made it a point. You can still do this. We can all still do this. One of the conferences, virtual conferences I spoke at recently, I actually personally reached out on LinkedIn to every one of the other speakers. And I said to them, we might have run into each other waiting in line for the bar this year, but we didn't. So are you free for a chat? And I would say nine out of 10 of them said yes. And I've had chats with them and I've extended my network and I've gotten to know them and understood them. And, and we made plans to even meet in person at next year's trade show. And I think all of that is work that can be done. And it just is about putting the work in and thinking creatively about how could I find the people I would have met otherwise? Because people are alone. They are separated. A lot of us who are considered extroverts in certain circles, right, need that. We need it. We have a very hard time living and working without it. And so just be open to it and consider it as an option. But the social platforms are the key. They are the secret. They are where all of this information is held. I, I love your answer. So you're a big promoter of promotional products and you're a big proponent of social media. Melissa and I love you. I know, she's my <laughs> favorite, like favorite. Stuff. 
love you guys too, right? Like these are the things that, that like keep the fuel in our fire. Gotta keep them moving. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you know, for me for social media day, I was so blown away. Like you shared a little bit about kind of like your own personal strategy to make the best out of trade shows and events. But like in regards to the social media strategy that you enacted for social media day, Philly this year, what are some of the elements that went into devising that? And can you give us a couple of examples? Cause I thought it was chef's kiss immaculate. It was so good. I was like, this is awesome. I think there were two really important things. One is as we put social media day together, we recognize that everybody learns differently. And so our intention was actually to create different experiences for how different people learn. So we, had, we ran four rooms simultaneously for social media day. The first one is was our keynote room. And this is people who like to go to a 45 minute lecture and listen to the top speaker from Twitter or LinkedIn or IBM or McCormick or Lego talk about for 45 minutes, their strategies, their plans, share examples. And pe- some people love to learn that way. Some people have shorter attention spans. And so they need all the information that they can get in 14 minutes. And for that reason, we have a whole room dedicated to what we call flash talks. They are 14 minute talks. They are quick, they are specific, they are about something in particular. A very, very like targeted talk. And some people learn best that way. For some people, they learn best in a hands-on experience. So we have a whole room that's dedicated to workshops. And our workshop presenters this year all had to provide in advance worksheets, templates, things that people could work on together. And then finally, we we realized that um, some people learn best when they ask questions. We had a whole room that was an ask me anything room where we set up different experts throughout the day and you could like log on and ask them absolutely anything you wanted. So I think that really worked. And then the other part of it is that in our speaker contracts, we require them to give us videos in advance, promotional posts in advance. Our speaker contracts are very intentional about having them help us promote the event. Yeah. Was that that true before virtual? It was, but we didn't really put emphasis on it. Um, This year we did, asking speakers to record videos for us in advance that we could use. We recognize that so much of a conference, especially when you're choosing which session to go to when you have choices, is about the energy of that speaker and whether or not that energy is something that you want to experience. And so we realized that having just a description and a title of the session wasn't actually going to communicate that energy at all. But video in a lot of cases can. And that's why we asked so many of our speakers and they agreed to give us video previews of what their talk would be about. So it made it easier for our participants to think about how they wanted to schedule their day and what speakers were their priorities to to hear. And by doing that, we hope that we provided a better participant experience because they could be more intentional about making choices of which session they wanted to hear throughout the day. So it sounds like in total, like really the driving force is serving your audience. Like you guys are really trying to think about that experience, even virtually. And I just like, again, I can't commend you enough because I really feel like for me attending, it made that day so impactful. And I felt like I came away with so much good information that I immediately was able to pull into my own career and profession. But I wanted to ask as well, like, Um, you know, and again, not to sound ageist in any way, but for some of your speakers who may not be as digital centric or maybe aren't used to maybe promoting themselves, did you have to do a lot of coaching for them and providing those videos or things like that? 
We certainly did have to do some coaching for them. Okay. Things as simple as please turn your phone to the side when you take the recording. <laughs> as opposed to, you know, please watch the light. Please watch the sound. And uh, Dia, who works with me, uh, she she's my assistant. She actually did run throughs on StreamYard with every single one of our speakers, panelists, and presenters, every single one to make sure that they knew how the tech worked. So she was incredible with that. And we definitely recommend doing that with, with anybody who's gonna speak or present at your conference. But we also made sure this year to record absolutely everything. And then we took the recordings and we put them in a platform, a different platform that we like that made it all very searchable, very easy. And so for some of our older audiences or, or even for some of our more um, distracted audiences or for some of our audience who had a lot of different things happening in their life at the time, having those recordings available for them afterwards, we actually found to be very helpful um, because they could use it at their at their own at their own pace and view them when they were ready to view them. We did put a little sign up wall ahead of it to, so that we could figure out who it was who actually accessed the, uh, the, the recordings after the fact. And that will be helpful in marketing in the future. But the recordings were really important. I know that everybody does them now. But I think it's important that you do the recordings and index them on a site that makes them very searchable. Yeah, agreed. Great, great tip. So before we get to our final question, our fun question. I have one last serious question. Um, and I think we touched upon a little bit about the, the top mistakes that people are making with um, implementing uh, uh, virtual events. Can you tell us a few more that you see you know, as problems? I can. I think that one of the things people need to consider very carefully is timing. I will tell you that I participated in a conference, a virtual conference that happened on election day. No. Very challenging. Um, whereas if they had had the conference in person, people could have like gone and voted and then potentially like gone to the conference and been a captive audience. But on election day, I think it was very, very hard to get a captive audience of any type. So consider the time of year for sure. Consider also the, the time of day. Conferences that are that have a target audience where maybe most of the audience um, are professional women who also have children. Don't start them at 8 a.m. We need to get our kids like settled, right? In school, in daycare or whatever. We can't be on at eight. It just doesn't work. So be very considerate of that. Maybe make a break at lunchtime when like people have to go feed their kids. Consider those sort of things. So time of day, date of year, what else is happening in the world? But think about your audience and what they need. We this year did social media day on July 30th, which was a month later than we normally do it, which was on June 30th. And we really struggled with that. We wondered, were people going to be on vacation or were they going to be around? We were fortunate that most people were around and we still got pretty much the same attendance as we normally do. But that's a big mistake that, that people make. I think another big mistake that they make is that they don't think about what it is that their audience really needs to get, the one thing they need to get from this trade show or conference experience to make sure that it is valuable to them. They focus so much on having speakers and like what the tech platform is and, and anything else that like kind of goes around the conference. They don't think about the one thing question. What is the one thing that'll make this conference valuable? And then finally, a lot of people don't survey attendees after the conference. We are still learning about virtual trade shows. These are new to most of us, but we're likely to be doing some sort of virtual experiences going into the future, maybe even distantly into the future as, as people 
don't quite feel comfortable coming back just yet. So we have to keep learning about virtual trade shows and conferences and do those surveys. Excellent answers. Now, before we let you go, Melissa's going to hit you with a fun question. Okay. So we always like to end with a fun question. And thank you so much again for your time. This has been so much valuable information and I can't wait to release this to our audience. Um, so who is your favorite content creator? Like, do you have a favorite? Oh, yes, I definitely do. When I grow up, I would like to be Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air on NPR. <laughs> she is brilliant. I think she's amazing. I fangirl after her whenever, because she's in Philadelphia. You know, she lives in Philadelphia. So whenever I see her on the street, I fangirl out a little bit. But she, she's she been doing her radio show for 30 years, more than 30 years at this point. And she creates this thoughtful, intentional, emotional uh, audio content pretty much every week. She pushes her guests in ways that they did not imagine that they would be pushed. She, she challenges them, she researches them, she understands them. And so she is my favorite, I love her. Um, and and I, I've learned so much from her in terms of how she asks questions and how she interacts with people and how she learns from them and how she pushes a little bit and then lets go a little bit and, and gets to a place where we learn something that we never would have learned in just a, a typical interview experience. Yeah, that's a great answer. My wife's been listening to Fresh Air for years. And, you know, I when I'm in the car with her, I listen. And she's like, you want to listen to Fresh Air? I'm like, I don't want to listen. She puts it on and 30 seconds in, I'm like, no, no, keep this on. I'm like, <laughs> Like, I want to hear the rest of this. Like, <laughs> because it's so compelling, yep. right? Like, Terry Gross has figured out compelling. And that's also one of the things that makes her my favorite content creator. Nice. I got to check her out. I've never heard of her show, I have to say, but I always love to ask this question because I always end up scooping up new people I need to follow. So, thank you. I appreciate that. What about you, Melissa? Yeah, well, tell us. Me, a current one that I really like, um, it's her personal account, Jade Powell. She is the head of social and community at Sunwink. And mm -hmm. I just think that she has such a, like her, her Twitter game is on fire, like her use of memes and threads and pop culture. Like I like people who are able to use pop culture in a way that's fun. And it's just like a cool way to comment on uh, larger conversations that are going on in like the country, but they do it in a way that's kind of like tongue in cheek. And I think she's mastered that. Not everybody can do that. It's a very fine line, but she's one of my favorites. So definitely. What about you, Vin? I mean, I could answer this in several different ways. Content could be fun, could be educational. I'm going to go with um, Seth Godin. Seth Godin has been writing a yeah. blog for many, many years, and his blogs have always, they're short, succinct, they're to the point, um, you know, great little packages of marketing inspiration. And like, you know, it takes me five seconds to read some of his stuff. And I'm just like, wow, like two sentences and it's inspirational and it like <laughs> resonates. And I'm like, he's got to figure it out. I love his stuff. Yeah, when we when we talk about content internally, we talk about how it needs to be relevant, insightful, actionable. And if you can make it inspiring, great. And I think that Melissa, your experience and your content creator is all about relevance, right? Creating relevant on fire uh, Twitter content. Vince, yours is certainly Seth Godin is insightful, super insightful. And for me, uh, Terry Gross is all about like 
just being compelling. And so I think it's, it's a great set of content creators. Thanks, Melissa, for that question. Yeah, thank you so much for stopping by today. We appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for all your thoughtful answers. And hopefully we'll get you the ability to see you in person sometime soon. <laughs> I am looking forward to that.